0: Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. All right, family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you that we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom this be life, and to speak life into each and every person, and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen you know the drill lift those Bibles up for me and say this say this is my Bible I can be what it says I can be I can do what it says I can do I can have what it says I can have every verse is God breathed and I aim to live by every word it is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God. And it shall forever be to me. My Bible. In Jesus name. Amen. You know, I do want to tell you a quick little Smith story. It's a, it's a short one, but it always makes me chuckle because it happens from time to time. You know, if you've are married or ever been married or had a girlfriend, you know whatever. You know that a lot of times women's clothes are different than men's clothes. Mm. Women's clothes have some intricate snaps and zips and whatnot, all involved into the situation. So from time to time, you know, my wife would ask me for help. Hey, come and zip this or snap this or get this thing back here that I can't reach, you know. But I'm like, okay, that's interesting they'll make clothes like that, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I'll, I'll help. Well, uh, recently what she did was she had this shoe, and the shoe has some straps, and it has a zip thing and everything. And so she says, hey, why don't you come over here and help me with these shoes? I'm like, hey, listen, I don't want to get down there and help you with no, with, no, with no shoe. Why you bought a shoe you need help with? What's What's up with that? <laughs> She looks at me, she says, Just think of me as Cinderella. Get down there and fix that shoe. <laughs> you know what I did? I got down there and fixed that shoe. I'm smart. I'm not I'm I'm not dense. Family today, we're going to go after one of those deep dark places that the enemy likes to hide. One of those places that Can easily kind of slip your mind as being an issue because it it lays and it waits so deep and so quietly that you probably never think about it, or most people don't. But we're gonna attack that thing today. The series that we're in is entitled Only If, and it focuses on forgiveness as a brief but necessary refresher of where I left off with you last time, I want to tell you that that word forgive has a very revealing origin. If we were to look at that word forgive and its origin, we would identify that its root premise is this. Look at the monitor before you. The root premise of the verb forgive is to give up desire or power to punish. Once we know that root, we can then go from there and extrapolate the meaning of three other nouns. Observe. Those are forgiver, forgiveness, and unforgiveness. Now, the word forgiver is forgive mixed with the suffix er. And that suffix er converts that verb into a noun. And forgiver is one who does the forgiving. But if we were to take the root of forgive and point that toward forgiver and give a definition, we would say that a forgiver is a person who has given up the desire or power to punish someone for their offense. Then we have forgiveness. Forgiveness, the word forgive with that suffix ness on the end becomes a noun, and what that says is forgiveness in general is the state that comes about because of forgiving. But once again, we point back to this root, and we can say forgiveness is the state of being free from the desire to punish someone for an offense. Then there's unforgiveness. Now, we talked about unforgiveness last time briefly, but we didn't talk about that prefix there, un. Briefly on that prefix, un means not. And that prefix, what it does is Whatever word follows it, it acts to reverse or to spin the opposite meaning on the word. So what do I mean? If we have do and we put un in the front of it, we go from do to what? Undo. If we have fold and we put un in front of it, we go from fold to unfold. You say happy, I put un in front of that bad boy, you go Unhappy. So if forgiveness is the state of being free from a desire to punish someone, unforgiveness is the state of not being free. Or we can say it this way. Unforgiveness is the state of being shackled or bound to the desire to punish someone for what they've done. Having gone through that kind of quick overview, I want to talk to you about a very specific forgiveness theme. A little bit oddly, though, I'm going to begin the discussion about that theme of forgiveness by talking about unforgiveness. Look at Matthew. Look in Matthew for me. In Matthew 18, I'm going to be starting in verse 21. What you have is what's commonly called the parable of the unforgiving servant. Sometimes what you will do is you will look for that parable and you will see it called the parable of the unmerciful servant. But given that we're talking about forgiveness for obvious reasons, I'm going to call it the parable of the unforgiving servant. Starting in verse 21, Peter says, talking to Jesus, he says, Lord, when someone has sinned against me, how many times ought I forgive him? Once, twice, as many as seven times. Jesus says you must forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven. If you want to understand the kingdom of heaven, think about a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Just as the king began to get his accounts in order, his assistants called his attention to a slave who owed him a huge sum of money or owed a huge sum to him. What a laborer might make in 500 hundred That's a lot of debt. The slave may be an embezzler had no way to make restitution, so the king ordered that he, his wife, their children, and everything the family owned be sold on the auction block. The proceeds from the slave sale would go towards paying back the king. Upon hearing this judgment, the slave fell down, prostrated himself before the king, and begged for mercy, have mercy on me and I will somehow pay you everything. The king was moved with the pathos or the passion of the situation. So indeed, he took pity on the servant, told him to stand up, and then forgave the debt. Go back to my previous slide with forgiveness and forgiver and all of that stuff. I want you to notice in what we've read, all of the different Aspects of the word forgive here. When this parable begins, there is a king that's taking account of his business. Suddenly, a huge debt comes to the forefront, takes center stage that this slave has. The king. Has the desire. And the power to enforce. Enforce. Repayment. So we can say he has the desire and the power to punish. What does he say? He says, grab this rascal and everything that he's got, and I want you to auction it off and get me back my money. The slave is like, oh. My God, please, king, don't do this. You know, you see what had happened was he's trying to get anything he can to kind of get the king to have some pity on him. And because he threw himself at the king in such a way, what does that king do? That king all of a sudden shifts into, this, into being a forgiver. Because of the way he asked for forgiveness or for mercy or for pity, the king gave up his desire and relinquished his power to punish. The king's heart shifts into a state of forgiveness. And because the king's heart shifts into the state of forgiveness, now what manifests in the life of that slave is the elimination or canceling of a debt. but let's keep going. Verse 28. But the slave went and found a friend, another slave who owed him about a hundred days wages. Pay me back that money, shouted the slave, throttling his friend and shaking him with threats and violence. In some translations, it says that that slave Grab his friend by the throat. I'm talking slave better have my money just him. by the throat. Verse 28, but the slave went and found a friend, another slave who owed him about a hundred days wages. Pay me back that money, shouted the slave, thralling his friend and shaking him with threats and violence. The slave's friend fell down prostrate and begged for mercy. Have mercy on me and I will somehow pay you everything. But the first slave cackled and was hard hearted and refused to hear his friend's plea. He found a magistrate and had his friend thrown into prison where he said, you will sit until you can pay me back. Go back to my slide again with those three words. As this parable unfolds, you have this first slave. Let's call him slave a first slave overseeing a situation similar to his own. That slave overseeing this situation has an opportunity to be a forgiver. But he elects not to be so. Instead, he retains the desire to see this other slave, his friend, his fellow slave, call him Slave B. He retains the desire to see that slave punished because of the debt. As a result, what does he do? He exercises that power that he has by grabbing that slave by the throat. And guess what? Having him thrown in prison. Here's what I want you to note. I want you to note that the unforgiveness in slave A, it materializes in slave B in such a way that he doesn't simply put him in prison, but it materializes in that it halts his present and obstructs his future. Go to the next slide. When you're dealing with unforgiveness, family, unforgiveness, it halts one's present, present and it obstructs one's future. Say that with me. Say unforgiveness Unforgiveness. halts the present present. and obstructs the future. future. Verse 31. Now, we're going to read verses 31 through 35 out of completeness. But the details of what I want to deal with today, we've already read. But for completeness, here's how the parable ends. So slave A has slave B thrown in prison. Verse 31, Jesus continues. The other servants saw what was going on. They were upset. So they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king summoned the slave, the one who had owed him so much money, the one whose debt the king had forgiven. The king was livid. You slovenly scum, he said, seething with anger. You begged me to forgive your debt, and I did. What would be the faithful response to such latitude and generosity? Surely you should have shown the same charity to a friend who was in your debt. The king turned over the unmerciful slave to his brigade of, torture, of torturers, and they had their way with him until he should pay the whole debt. And that is what my Father in heaven will do to you unless you forgive each of your brothers and each of your sisters from the very cockles of your heart. I want you to now think back to the interaction between those two slaves, between slave A and slave B. And thinking through that, what I want you to to note is there is an interesting interaction between those two. I believe that each and every one of us here has been in a position such that we were, situationally speaking, one of those slaves. What do I mean? I mean, we have been in a situation where we could have forgiven someone, but we didn't. We have also been in a situation where we wanted somebody to forgive us and they did not. Now, I want you to go a little bit deeper into that thing, though. I want you to tighten your focus on that interaction and in tightening your focus, I want you to lock in on Slave B. Slave B is there with slaves slaves slave A's hands wrapped around his throat he's feeling the wrath of slave A as a matter of fact slave A is so incensed about slave B and the debt that he owes that he's having him thrown in prison all of that interaction between those slaves happens Because slave A has a desire to see slave B punished for the debt. Question for you. And I want you to hear me clearly. What if you are both slaves simultaneously in this situation? I mean, what if you are right now both Slave A and Slave B? If I were to be more direct with you, I would say this. What if the person who is unforgiving towards you is you? What if the person who is unwilling to forgive you is you. Loved ones, the subject I am broaching today is the theme of forgiving yourself. My guidance to you, if it applies, is for you to release yourself from the desire to be punished from something you did in the past. Free yourself from the feelings that you should be punished for something that you're holding against yourself. If I were to take what I'm trying to present to you and put it in the three words, I would say, you forgive you. And I want you to take that thing and I want you to personalize it. Keep in mind, you absolutely positively may not be in this position right now. You may feel as if you cannot forgive yourself right now. But what I want you to do is I want you to say it out loud so that you can hear you say it out of your own mouth in your own voice. I want you to personalize it. Say, I forgive Me. Me. Say it one more time. Say, I I forgive forgive me." me. I'm going to tell you something. If you were to research the subject or the theme or the topic of forgiving yourself, what you would find is there are a large number of very influential, very renowned individuals and organizations. I'm talking about world-renowned people and organizations that contend the Bible does not establish a framework for a person forgiving themselves. They They contend that the Bible does not talk about you going around forgiving yourself. Now, they agree. That the Bible does establish a framework for God forgiving man. And they call that vertical forgiveness. At least one of the persons called it vertical forgiveness. They also agree that the Bible establishes a framework for mankind to mankind forgiveness the reference to that was horizontal forgiveness. In other words, one person forgiving another. They also was very adamant and made it especially clear that God and God alone is the only one with the power to forgive sin. As for the topic of forgiving yourself, though, in their view, they assert that it's I'm going to use the word unbiblical. That's their contention. Admittedly, the people who write all the stuff that I read in the different Christian articles and the different, uh, you know, Bible commentaries. Those people are considered by most to be Bible scholars. They're considered Bible scholars. And I'm going to tell you, if you put me in a room with those people and put a Bible on the table, those people will probably pull out perspectives out of that Bible that I ain't never seen before in my life. But having conceded that, though. Family, I have lived out of my Bible for some 30 years. Not just read it. I've lived out of it. And I have yet to come across an aspect of life that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, my Bible has not addressed. Never. I contend that forgiving yourself is a thing. It is not unbiblical. And the Bible has wisdom to address it. Notice. I want you to look back at Matthew 18. Because the Bible does address it, in my opinion. What am I talking about? I'm talking about you forgiving yourself. It is not unbiblical. Now, for the record. Look at somebody and say, pastor, want this on the record. I want this on the record. I don't want nobody saying I want it on the record. For the record. When I talk about you forgiving yourself, I am not talking about you having the power to forgive yourself of sin. I am not talking about that you and your action of forgiving yourself is going to displace the role of Jesus Christ in your life. I am not talking about your action that you're going to take is going to usurp or or overshadow the abuse and the pain Jesus bore. I'm not saying and I'm not talking about that the action you're going to take is going to overshadow the blood he shed. I am not saying that the action that you're going to take is going to somehow be more important than the work he did on the cross. I am not saying that by the action that you're getting ready to take, that what you're going to do is somehow go over and above the covenant that he ratified. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying when I am saying you are going to, I'm going to ask you to forgive yourself, I am talking about an act centered around relationship. Look at Matthew. Matthew 18, verse 21. Here we go. Peter talking to Jesus. Notice this. He says, Lord, when someone has sinned against me, how many times ought I forgive him once, twice, as many times as many as seven times. Now, look at that. Peter jumps off with a question. Hey, Lord, how many times shall I forgive people? And he started off with a smart a small number. What about one time? Then he say, uh, uh, before Jesus even answered, he say, what about two times? Because he know one was a small number. but he said, what about two times? Then his conscience got the best of him. He's like, "Mm, you know what? Okay, what about seven times? How many times ought I forgive him? Once, twice, as many as seven times? What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus, let me inquire of you. How many times shall I forgive someone who has offended me? In essence, though, here is really what he's saying. If we were to strip this down to what I see as the nuts and bolts of it and specific to what we're talking about today. He says, Jesus, when someone has offended me, how often shall I release them from that relational debt? Jesus, when someone offends me, how often should I stop allowing their offense to affect the way I feel about them? Jesus, how often shall I stop allowing their offense to affect the way I treat them? How often, Jesus, should I stop allowing their offense to affect the way I talk about them? Jesus, when someone has sinned against me or done something offensive, how often should I stop allowing that offense to affect, you know, the way I talk about them? The way I treat them, the way I think about them. Hey Jesus, how often should I stop allowing that person's offense to affect my willingness to do something for them? Jesus, how often should I stop allowing that person's offense to be my justification for putting that person into emotional prison? Jesus, how often Because I want to know. How often shall I release that person from a relational debt that I have established on their behalf because of their offense? Jesus, how often shall I clear my relational account? From relational debt. This. Is talking about release from relational debt. It is not talking about the power to forgive sin. Now, Jesus comes in and Jesus says to Peter in verse 22, you must forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven. You must not release that person from their relational debt just one time, not release that person two times. Hey, guess what, Peter? You're not even supposed to release that person from their relational debt just seven times. You are to do it 70 times seven. In other words, do it until you can't do it no more. An endless amount of times. There is no limit, Peter on how often you should release somebody from a relational debt. Now, tell me this. If you do not have the right, or you don't have the approval from Jesus himself to withhold forgiveness from from somebody else, how can you perceive that it's okay to withhold forgiveness from yourself? It doesn't foot. It doesn't make sense. Once again, we are talking about relational debt. We are not talking about the power to forgive sin. But you do have the ability to wipe a relational debt clean. Hey, a scholarly, a very scholarly Pharisee Asked Jesus a question once. He asked Jesus to tell him what is the greatest or most important commandment. That account goes like this. It's in Matthew 22, starting in verse 33 out of the Living Bible. The crowds were profoundly impressed by his answers, meaning Jesus's answers. Jesus was dropping wisdom on folk. The crowds were profoundly impressed by his answers but not the Pharisees. When they heard that he had routed the Sadducees with his reply, they thought up a fresh question of their own to ask him. One of them, a lawyer, spoke up, Sir, which is the most important commandment in the laws of Moses? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All of the other all other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only these and you will find that you are obeying all the others. Family, the Bible says that you are to love God with all your heart, your soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Tell me, if loving your neighbor includes the willingness to forgive your neighbor, how do you perceive that it's okay not to forgive yourself? How in the world can I love my neighbor as myself but not be willing to do for me what I do for my neighbor. Look, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Family, tell me, how in the world can I love my neighbor enough to forgive my neighbor and not love myself enough to forgive me? Yes, forgiving yourself is a thing. It's not unbiblical. It would be nonsensical for that to be the case. Forgiving yourself is a thing. As long as you recognize that when we say forgive yourself, we are talking about releasing yourself from a relational debt, not that you have the power to forgive yourself of sin. Do you get that? Now, this parable of this unforgiving servant. You know, this parable, family, it provides us a good picture of how sometimes we can be towards others as well as how we can be sometimes towards ourselves. And when we are. Gosh, when we just won't forgive ourselves. The verdict that we're putting down on ourselves is the verdict of punishment. One final image for you. This, loved ones, is going to set us up nice. I want you to let this image tattoo itself in your mind. And let's break down the meaning. Relationally speaking, when you are unwilling to forgive yourself, when you view yourself in the context of whatever that was, whatever that thing that you view was offensive, when you view yourself in the context of the offense, you do not like that you. The you that you see in your mind's eye, the you that you see in the context of whatever that was, you do not like that you. And because you do not like that you, you justify that punishment is warranted. As a result, you put that you in emotional prison. When you look at yourself in the context of that past item, you don't like that you. You put that you in emotional prison. Here is the tragic part, though. You cannot put that you in emotional prison without locking up you. You can't just lock up you based on something in the past and not thinking and not think that that also locks up you. And the act of locking up you does what? It halts your present. And it obstructs your future. When you don't forgive yourself, loved ones, you might not see it this way, but this is the occurrence. You put everything that you are into an emotional prison and you halt your present and you obstruct your future. Now, there's a lot more we can say, but we're going to take what I think is the right move and put a bookmark right here. It's the perfect place to stop. As we close, though, what I want to do is reiterate once more that my desire is that each of us release ourselves from the emotional debt that we have established against ourselves. Free ourselves from that emotional debt. And that freedom can happen. It really can. In order for it to happen, though, you have to release the desire to punish yourself. We'll pick up there next time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for you being who you are in our life. You are our father. We can always count on you. We can always trust that your word is true. One of the things that likes to hide in our life Are those things in our mind and in our heart that we hold against ourselves and we quietly put ourselves in that emotional prison? Yeah, we just don't forgive ourselves from that emotional debt. We want freedom to be our state. God, I pray that that process has begun even right now. That each and every one of us will open up our eyes and look at all of the things that we have on the inside that although we may not have seen it as such, but are actually Relational debts that we're holding against ourselves because something in the past. (coughs) An offense. And when we view ourselves in the context of that offense. Our verdict to ourselves. Is we feel we should be punished. Free us God. And that freedom begins by us desiring not to punish ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.